Hey, yo. <laughs> Only uh, wrestling turnbuckle podcast that we can bring you. This is Jesse the Body, and as always with my partner, Johnny Podcast. How are you? I'm good, man. Uh, that hey, yo is, uh, is a little difficult to swallow right now, but uh, <laughs> but we're uh, we're doing okay, I think. Uh, you and I just both watched the uh, end of the Kentucky uh St. Pete game, and uh, I know your wife is upset, but uh, we always like an upset here on my side of the of the aisle. But uh, it's uh, it's uh, you gotta love the March Madness, man. It's a good times. Yeah, she uh, she was she was a little upset. It was a nail biter there towards the end. I'm pretty sure I'm probably gonna have a bruise or two in the morning, but it's okay. <laughs> I forgive her for the one time a year that this comes around. So, and here I thought my my bracket being busted was the worst thing that could happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, before we get on, we're this week, ladies and gentlemen, we're bringing you the um, WrestleMania eight review with Mania season coming around. We decided to to pull one out of the hat and do a review of one that's uh, kind of near and dear to both of our hearts, mm-hmm. uh, which was WrestleMania 8, but a couple of news items to share. Um, of course, as you heard at the top of the show, uh, one of the wrestlers that we both grew up on, one of the wrestlers that we just thought was I mean, this is the kind of character that you couldn't teach cool. He just was cool. And mm-hmm. that would be uh, Scott Hall slash Razor Ramon. He has tragically passed away. Uh, I know a month ago he got in the hospital for a broken hip he then suffered uh last friday three heart attacks which put him on life support his family made the decision to finally pull him off and he passed away later that day so that is uh kind of weighing on our hearts and join us next week because we will be doing a retrospective on the life and career of um one of our childhood favorites uh being scott hall you have any thoughts there johnny yeah man just uh you know i I, uh you know, as we talked about before, I mean, I, I've always used wrestling as an escape, and um, Scott Hall was one of those guys, man. He was just, he was always fun. Like, there wasn't, there wasn't anything about him that wasn't fun. And, um, you know, whether he was Razor Ramon oozing machismo and, you know, having all the chicas around him and, you know, bad Tony Montana impersonation aside, um, the guy was just always entertaining. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, I don't want to say devastated because it's, it's hard to be devastated about somebody that you never even met, but, uh, but it's, it's still sad. And, you know, this is a man that, you know, he's had his, his demons and, um, he had his, his issues and he had, um, you know, he had a pacemaker and a defibrillator. Um, so this was kind of, a it was going to happen at some point or the other, but I think, you know, I think everybody was rooting for a, for a longer term, you know, for him, you know, to have a chance to see, you know, his son Cody make good and um, all of those things, uh, you know, his a life, you know, he's, he's in his sixties, but still a life cut short. And, um, you know, it's, it's hard to swallow any of these childhood heroes um, going by the wayside. And I, I think you can probably agree with that. Oh yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he was a guy that, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy, man, he was, he was hard to hate. I mm-hmm. mean, just, you you couldn't hate this guy, even if you were supposed to just, just cause of how cool he was. He's like, he's the guy you really kind of wanted to, uh, kind of wanted to be. I'm glad that, you know, he got his life turned around, um, and got into the, inducted into the hall of fame twice, actually. 
once by mm-hmm. himself as Razor and then once with the New World Order. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, the, the devastation he did to his body over the years is what caused his issues, but at least he got to enjoy what little time he had left with it, with, with redemption, you know, which is, I think, what all these guys ultimately want is some kind of a redemption before they go. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, credit to, you know, it's funny, or not funny, but it's just kind of ironic that our next retrospective was supposed to be DDP. Um, and, you know, because of real life events, we're going to, we're going to switch some things around. It's going to be Scott Hall, but, but, you know, maybe Scott's life doesn't even last this long without, without DDP. Yeah. Um, I don't know if, did you ever see the resurrection, the uh, Jake the Snake thing on Netflix with DDP? Because Scott Hall was in there. Yeah. 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 So I thought it was great, man. DDP, he's, I think he's done, you know, which we will do the retrospective on him, but I think he just, I think if it wasn't for him, I don't think Scott Hall would have been around that long. I think no. DDP was the one that helped to bring him out of that and helped helped him with his redemption. I mean, DDP deserves a lot of credit for that for him and for Jake Roberts. Yeah, absolutely. He just posted uh, he had dinner with uh, Cody and uh, one of Scott's other children, I believe, um, and just talked a lot about Scott. And, um, you know, they, they were guys that really had each other's backs in this industry where, um, you know, by Triple H's own words, there are very few friends. Um, you know, this is, you know, Scott was a guy that, you know, he gave freely of his mind and he had a wonderful mind for the business. And I'll save some of this for next week, but, um, you know, he started, you know, he really started that rise to being, you know, Razor Ramon with as being the diamond stud, um, you know, a charge of Diamond Dallas Page. Um, so these guys have that history together. They have that chemistry together and, and, you know, the toothpick thing that came about from him hanging out with Diamond Dallas Page. And, um, you know, I think you can't talk about one without the other. And, you know, I'm, I'm thankful that Scott got to live his, you know, the end of his life, at least on his own terms. Yeah. Um, yeah. Without a doubt. Know. So, and like well, I said, we'll, we'll get into it more next week and, um, you know, yeah, just a little preview. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So another thing that happened this past week, uh, not so tragic, which we didn't know at the time. I actually watched this live. Uh, people don't know. Uh, Big E suffered a broken neck last week's SmackDown. Um, Ridge Holland gave him a just a simple belly to back suplex. But he I, I even when I watched it live, I thought, damn, that's a pretty rough landing that Big E just took. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's. It, it looked bad, and then we found out that it was. Thankfully, it did not damage his spinal cord. He will not need surgery. So um, that's good news. I think he'll come back probably a little bit uh, quicker than expected. I uh, don't think he'll make mania. I honestly see them inserting Ricochet into the match against uh, Ridge Holland, um, Sheamus, and Pete Dunne, who is now known as Butch. Oh, God. Pete Dunne on, for so many years. And from what I understand... This came about because it it lends back to the Bushwhackers, Luke and Butch. If people don't know Ridge Holland, his real name is Luke Menzies. So somewhere along the line, either Vince thought about it or somebody told them that this. And Vince was like, probably like, God damn, pal, that's creative. That's genius. We're going to use that. So oh, my God. They picked up to Butch to go on. It's just, I mean, unless people really dig deep into it, they're not going to know that. I don't think they're going to care. 
it's just I, name changes aren't big that big of a deal. But then again, it's like you've been telling people this has been Pete Dunn for the past six years, and then you bring him up, you change his name, they changed Walter to Gunther. It's like I just don't understand the mindset behind it. <laughs> no, uh, and really, like I don't, I don't get it. Like I understand them as part of like protecting their IP with some things, but. But it's just silly, um, and it's insulting to the to the intelligence of the audience. Like, I know I know Vince, and I know like a lot of people on the outside think that we're just you know booger eaters, but um, you know that's not always the case. And you know what, whether we choose this for our entertainment or not, like you know you should still treat your audience with respect, and and the fact that. You know, they bring this guy up that we all know who he is. We, he's a fan favorite. Like, people enjoy his work because of how, like, detailed and how minute his his offense is that, you know, it's it's an insult to our intelligence to be like, oh, no, he's butch now. Um, well, if you know, anything, th- add bruiserweight to the front. He could be bruiserweight butch. Yeah. Because he's known no, as I mean, bruiserweight. I mean, that'd be some kind of connection at least to – yeah his old persona at least acknowledge that that happened yeah um, don't don't pretend that it didn't happen and and I, I just i don't understand the the bipolar nature of wwe sometimes where it's like oh they you know they recommend or they recommended they acknowledged you know mickey's you know history and her you know title holding in, in impact and you know later yeah. music and all that stuff and then they they acknowledged you know, Shinsuke and AJ and their, you know, their history and their rivalry across all continents. Um, but now they can't acknowledge that this guy was Pete Dunne in, in NXT. Um, it, it just, it's so backwards and it just doesn't make any sense. And, um, you know, I know I'm getting away from your original topic, but, uh, you know, I, and everybody wishes Big E well. I don't think there's anybody in the industry or, or in, you know, this, this commentary, you know, you know, part of it where we are that wishes him any, any ill will. Um, he seems like a great guy, uh, you know, a uh, big influence on uh, Brody Lee's son. Um, and one of the people that broke it to him that, you know, his, his dad was going to pass away. Um, you know, just a, a really great guy from all, you know, from all reports and understanding. And uh, well, reports aren't this week, he's, he's already walking around. So that's, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's good news. I mean, the fact that his spinal cord wasn't damaged and that yeah. he doesn't need surgery is the best possible scenario you could think of when a situation like this occurs. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's still in a, a, a walking brace. But, yeah, I did see on Instagram he was already um, out of the hospital, um, up and moving around. Obviously, you know, being the size that he is, um, that, that does lend some protection to you from, from a traumatic injury like that. Uh, let's just hope that it's not a Steve Austin or an Edge or a Page situation where you know it's going to shorten his career. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, I, I absolutely. You know, it's it's great to see him up and and you know he's already you know moving around and I'm sure he'll be back to weightlifting before before too long. One other thing I wanted to talk about. I guess last night we found out on Dynamite the uh, the long reign, the longest reign and. AEW women's history so far was finally broken last night mm-hmm. uh, when Thunder Rosa finally uh, defeated Britt Baker to become the AEW women's champion in her hometown. So from what I, I haven't seen the match, but from what I read, it was pretty, uh, pretty fantastic match. 
Yeah, I haven't actually got a chance to watch it yet either. Um, but it it looks like it was a really brutal affair, and uh, obviously Britt putting over Thunder. Um, you know, as we alluded to on the last episode, this was kind of a uh, you know a lack of any kind of drama. Like it was pretty much. I think everybody saw it going this way, but it's still an exciting time for the women's division to kind of get that fresh, um, you know, fresh championship, you know, uh, run. And, and I'm sure, you know, Jade is going to come after that at some point. We're going to get a rematch of them. She was running out of opponents. It was, it was, it was time, you know? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think her, uh, you know, I think her next thing is going to be, to feud with, um, you know, Jamie Hayter and Mercedes Martinez and maybe even Rebel, um, you know, all the people that she surrounded herself with. And then, um, you know, I could see her eventually turning face and then, and then you know, building herself back up and, and challenging for the title again. But, um, you know, I think that's going to be over the course of a long time. I think it's going to be a long-term story. Um, but right now it's Thunder's time. And, uh, you know, I think that she's the right person with the title. And I, and I hope, I hope that they can continue to have good opponents for her. Um, that's my concern. That was my concern with Britt Baker is, you know, okay, great. She beat Britt, but what is next? Um, right. and you, need, you need to know what is next for the next six to eight months um, without it being just, you know, just random. Well, oh, she's going to face the bunny at, at all out, or she's going to face, you know, I mean, random person X at, you know, at uh, double or nothing. Like you need to have a, a good plan going forward. And, and that's something that I've been critical with, with, with AEW and WWE is, is, is just have a plan, have an idea of where you want to go. I mean, sometimes life gets in the way, sometimes things get in the way, but but it's it's still good to have have a plan on where you want to go with your storylines over the next you know few months, right? So, so uh, without did you have any other news items you wanted to bring up for? Um, not really. Nothing that I can think. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that Cody's going to face Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. Um, I, I'm, honestly, dude, I'm excited for it. I, I watched yeah. it all this past Monday. I think the reason they held off his debut was because of the Scott Hall thing. Mm-hmm. But I see him making his debut, and I'm excited for it, man. I, I'm, I'm not. Yeah. I'm, I've always, I always, I told you that I wasn't that big of a Cody Mark, but the fact that he has built himself up to be mm-hmm. such a big name outside of WWE and to come back with this much fanfare behind him, I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think he'll do very well in this second run. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think, you know, uh, I mean, we talked about this about three weeks in a row, but yeah, it's. He has a lot of value right now, and I think I think he's the right person, um, you know. And then there was Cody Chance on Monday, and they, you know, they ended the show by saying, you know, they dashed Seth Rollins' hopes of having a, a WrestleMania match. And um, you know, I think I'm excited for him as far as you know. This is a chance to go back and you know, for lack of a better term, right or wrong. Um, yeah. You know, I think, you know, he didn't, he left on terms that he didn't really want to leave on. Uh, obviously, WWE only saw in him the Stardust thing. Um, you know, he's gone out and continued to prove his, his value and his worth. And um, I think, and honestly, it, I think that says something to him, to Vince McMahon. I think Vince saw that as yeah. hey, this guy went out. You know, I, I told him he'd never be more than this, but he went out and he helped build up this other company who's given me real competition 
he's showing yeah. interest in wanting to come back. I think they'll give him a significant push, man. I don't see him being – I see him being pushed to main event status, honestly. I don't see him as being that mid-carder anymore. No, and I think, I you know, for them to make it worth their while, especially in this era where they're cutting so many people that they don't see as main event potential – um, I think, you know, you, you don't make that acquisition unless you have a plan for him to be, you know, a big part of your, your plans going forward. Yeah. Um, I don't think, you know, this isn't the WWE of, you know, five years ago where they would sign him for spite. Um, I think part of it is probably, yes, it's a big, big feather in Vince's cap to take away one of the founding fathers of AEW. Um, but I think at the same time, uh, it's a business move that he's going to see the value in having Cody on his ros- roster and having that Rhodes name continue on his roster. Um, I think it's something that he's going to see, you know, long-term value in. Is he going to be world champion? I, I don't know. I, I kind of doubt it at this point, but um, you know, I don't, I won't say it's out of the realm of possibilities. Um, Honestly, but, man, and for being honest, I think if Cody does come in, I think we'll, I think we'll see him as world champion by SummerSlam. Yeah, I mean it's it's entirely possible. Um, you know, I I'm I'm really looking forward to you know if it does happen. I think uh, you know him and Seth Rollins are really going to tear it up, and it may be the the match that steals the show at WrestleMania. To be quite frank with you, um, Cody's really grown as a as a performer, and I hope you know I hope there's no handcuffs on him, and he can go out there and have that the kind of match that he can have. With a with a person that's as talented as Seth Rollins. Well, another thing that was a big uh, thing for me was when, when Seth was talking on Monday night, talking about how he was going to go out to the ring and, and make his announcement. You, you heard the crowd just go. You heard this big Cody chant. So the crowd is behind him. They 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 want this to happen. They want they. I think they know Cody's coming, or they have an idea of it, and they want it to happen by the by the chance that we're going on in the arena on Raw. You there? Hello? Sorry about the interruption there. Jesse, uh, I apologize. What was your what was your point there? Oh, I was just saying that um uh the telling point to me was whenever they showed Seth Rollins, you heard the crowd just uni- unanimously yelling Cody. So to me yeah. that says that that they see that he's coming or that they want him to. They see him as a much bigger deal. I think that's an indication that he's going to be a much bigger deal when he comes back. That's uh, that was what 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 I, what I was uh, getting to my point there on. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry about that. We had a little technical difficulty. Um, so yeah, I, and, and you know, I think I think like we talked about, I think that's going to continue to make WrestleMania a more uh, valuable card. I think you know, I think as things come together, I think it's going to be kind of a special show. Um, but it, it's going to depend on what happens here in the next few weeks. Um, you know, uh, obviously we, you know, I think we're both looking forward to edge and, um, uh, AJ, AJ. And then obviously, um, you know, we got the, you know, Brock and Brock and, uh, Roman main event and, uh, you know, the women's titles matches and, you know, there's, there's a lot to look forward to, I think, you know, but there's, there's also a lot to, that I'm kind of unsure of about right now. And I'm interested to see how ticket sales go um, here in the next few weeks before WrestleMania actually hits. Yeah. Well, speaking of uh, mania, 
um, it's a good point in the show, I guess, to get on our uh, Mania retrospective. Mm-hmm. And we will be talking about a show that is um, means a lot to me. I think I think you said you went to, but that WrestleMania eight yeah uh, took place here at the old Hoosier Dome in Indianapolis, which is now a parking lot. Yeah. And- <laughs> I think it. I think it's now a parking lot, but we now have the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium. But yeah. this this match take place. I remember uh, before going to this event, I didn't know if I was going to be able to go. Mm-hmm. My uncle, who always loved teasing me, was like, because he knew he knew how much I hated like vegetable soup, the canned Campbell's vegetable soup. Mm-hmm. That shit was disgusting to me. He told me if I ate a can of it, though, he would buy tickets for me to go to Mania. Oh wow! So. I, 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 I stomached it. I got it down. Yeah. And he bought me tickets and we went to WrestleMania. We were up in the nosebleeds on like on the camera side, but hey, at least I still got to go. That's my that's my story of how I got to WrestleMania eight. Yeah. Mine's less uh <laughs> less interesting or less vegetable soupy. Um <laughs> you know, we just uh you know, I I bugged my dad until he actually, you know, bought tickets and took me um uh, it was actually my first wrestling event, um, so you know, set the bar high for for what I would expect going forward. And um, you know, it's it's a uh, it was a great memory from my childhood, and I'm um, I'm excited to talk about it today. Obviously, uh, you know, my my favorite Brett had a had a big match on that show, uh, you know, among a lot of other you know matches, and and really, it was probably one of the best manias there for for a good little stretch since, uh, you know, the warrior, the ultimate challenge, WrestleMania at WrestleMania six, um, you know, nine, uh, eight, or I'm sorry, nine and seven kind of were disappointing to a lot of people. Um, 10 had the great razor, you know, Shawn Michaels ladder match. 11 was headlined by Lawrence Taylor. Like, I mean, it, it was kind of, hit or miss there for a while but this was a is a decent show as far as the entire card goes yeah um, it was um to me this mania was was special because there, there were a lot of firsts honestly yeah. at this mania which we'll talk about as we get into the show but uh interesting enough we're talking about scott hall next week he made his debut one month after this show yeah he made his debut in may of 1992 or at least that's when the vignettes started for his uh razor ramon character yeah but uh so this so just to give everybody a little background on this, uh, the WWE World Heavyweight Champion was Ric Flair, and he's making his WrestleMania debut as he defended the title against Randy Savage, who had been reinstated after uh, retirement the previous year in one of the best WrestleMania matches against the Warrior at WrestleMania Seven. Yeah. And then the other main event was Hulk Hogan taking on Sid Justice, who was making his WrestleMania debut. Um so when Ric Flair won the title at the 92 Rumble, most people thought that the WrestleMania main event would be Ric Flair versus Hulk Hogan. That's what the company was banking on when Ric Flair first came to the company in 1991. Um, it was a dream match since Flair was the longtime NWA world champion, while Hogan had an incredibly long run yeah. the WWE during the same period. So the story goes that they had house show matches prior to this, mm-hmm. and management didn't feel like they were that good. So, honestly, I don't know. I don't know if it would have mattered if the match was good or not. I think the match itself would have sold tickets, but it's neither here nor there. I mean, they they changed the matches to Flair versus Savage and Hogan versus Sid. Uh, the Flair Savage feud revolved around Flair saying that he had been in a relationship with Elizabeth before Savage to give the feud a more personal feel. And in Hogan's case, 
uh, they teased that this could be his last match, which is comical now when you think about <laughs> it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because I remember he took a little hiatus after this. He would wrestle one more Mania at WrestleMania Nine, but it, he was in the main event at the very end. But he wasn't he wasn't promoted as the main event of the show. No. So I think this was the last Mania where he was promoted. Like I said at first, where he was promoted as a. Uh, as the main event. I know this event came in under three hours after a string of four hour shows. Mm-hmm. So um, I think they did pretty well with the time they got also significant. This was the last. Monsoon and Bobby, the brain Heenan commented a WrestleMania together. I know Heenan did one more the following year with Jim Ross and Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. This wasn't the same. And then he left the company shortly after that, but this was the last time that those two actually called a, uh, called a mania together uh, do you have any opening thoughts there johnny um not really i mean back to your point about gorilla and um bobby heenan uh i i don't know if any you know color commentator and um you know uh play-by-play announcer have ever had the kind of chemistry or the kind of back and forth that that those two have had and um i've been watching a little bit of this card um in preparation for this show and um, you know, it's just, it's just so funny that, you know, Heenan's all the way, you know, out in left field and, and Gorilla's <laughs> like, oh, would you be serious? Yeah. <laughs> Every time Heenan would make a sarcastic comment, Gorilla would be like, will you stop? <laughs> there was one point where Heenan said, I have an announcement to make. Shawn Michaels has left the building and Gorilla goes, who cares? <laughs> He's like, we're trying yeah. to call a match here. It was no. you know, just some, just little things like that, man, just me. Because these two were real life friends. Oh yeah. So the fact that they were able to have this this banter like that was just awesome to hear. And it's yeah. too bad that that was the last time we'd get to hear it, at least on on a WrestleMania. Yeah, I remember Bobby uh, towards the end of his life where he was talking about how much he loved Monsoon, and um, you know, obviously Monsoon passed away several years before before Bobby did. But um, uh, you know, he was talking about how much he wished he was still there, and um, you know, those two, like you said just amazing chemistry and I, I love Bobby. I've been watching, I, as we talked about all the time, I've been watching Nitro from the beginning. Bobby Heenan is a national treasure. And oh, yeah. if you disagree with that, then um, you can go ahead and turn this podcast off. <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, whether he's talking about Tito Santana slash El Matador as a jumping Mexican bean or the flying burrito, or I mean, you know, obviously things that wouldn't fly in 2022. Right. But, but, but everybody's just, offended by everything, but yeah, back then, absolutely. I mean, people knew it was just a heel yeah. being a heel. I mean, he yeah, was absolutely. he was the bad guy. He was the guy you were supposed to hate. He wasn't supposed yeah. to be PC or anything like that. So absolutely. absolutely. But yeah, um, I think the closest commentating team that even comes close to these two would have been JR and Jim Ross during the Attitude Era. I thought those two came very close to being that modern day Gorilla Monsoon, Bobby Heenan uh, commentating team. Yeah, as much as I complain about how much uh, King can go over the top, um, he was, you know, he was the great, you know, uh, yin to the yang of Jim Ross being straightforward and, um, you know, being that that play-by-play man that was more of the straight man. And then you had, you know, the King that would come in and just talk about random shit or, you know. Talk about the puppies or or something, you know. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That was just totally off topic of what Jim Ross was trying to get up across. They just made a, at least during the Attitude Era program, and they made it very, yeah. They they were a very good team, but 
Back to Mania 8. Um, so the national anthem was performed by Reba McIntyre. Mm-hmm. Um, she might have been in, I don't think she was in her prime yet. I think she was so shortly before she blew up. But uh, yeah, I, I remember Keenan made a wise practice like, that's Tito's sister. It's like, what? Yeah, Ma- uh, Reba. <laughs> Reba, yeah. <laughs> That was funny. It was another Gorilla Monsoon. Will you stop kind of thing? I mean, yeah. you, just, you have to listen to the event to know just how good these two were together. Um, oh, absolutely. So the first match was uh, Tito Santana versus Shawn Michaels. This was, to me, significant. This was Shawn Michaels' first time at a Mania solo. This was their – he had just turned on Marty Jannetty shortly before this, the famous barbershop incident. Mm-hmm. And this was his – he was opening the show – um, I think this was, this was their time to start pushing them as a single star. L- little did we know at the time that this would start the career, one, one of the greatest careers in the history of the business. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one thing I noticed watching this, and, and one thing that I think is missing from the current product is that idea of this, like, uh, succession. Like, they were talking in this match about the winner of this match will likely be able to challenge for the intercontinental title down the line. Um, you know, it's this idea of, you know, earning that place and earning that opportunity. And, you know, eventually like we, like we know, you know, this was in 92, um, you know, Brett and Bulldog would main event SummerSlam in 92 at Wembley stadium. And then Sean would, uh, you know, defeat Bulldog later on to win the Intercontinental title. Um, so there, there was a little bit prophetic, but it, but it shows the, the larger plan um, yeah. that they had for Sean at that time. And, and I feel bad for Tito that he was in this stereotypical role, uh, obviously a member of the Strike Force, um, you know, tag team with Rick Martell. Um, you know, stuck in a matador gimmick, but uh, but he was still just a, a really great wrestler, and uh, you know, it was a it was a good opportunity to put over Sean as 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 an up and comer. I think. I, I think we all knew. I mean, Tito Santana was around from the first WrestleMania. He opened the show at the first WrestleMania. He you know he was, mm-hmm. he always had the distinction of being the first match. Yeah, and even here he was kind of at the twilight of his career. The El Matador gimmick was was that last. Uh, thing to kind of keep him relevant i don't think he had yeah. been another mania after this i think this was his last one um but you know he's he's still a significant you know he was a former intercontinental champion former tag team champion you know you can't you know really dispute the accolades that tito got but as you said at the, around this time this was about putting sean over getting this yeah. new persona over he was he was the sexy boy he had sensational sherry with him who was not his theme song at that time uh, this is about Sean proving that he belonged as as a single star. It wasn't bad for a match. I know that he he did pull out Sweet Chin music, but it was wasn't known as that as, as at that time, so it wasn't mm-hmm. his finisher yet. Uh, but I thought they had a pretty good uh, back and forth match. It was you know uh, Tito put put him over. Uh, I think it was a reverse cross body. Yeah, and Shawn Michaels ended up walking away. So so it was the, it was the right decision in that match. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was the right call, you know, to give Sean that opportunity to beat a veteran there at the main event of WrestleMania, or not the main event, but the opening match of WrestleMania. And like you said, he, uh, it was a crossbody where Sean grabbed the ropes for lever- leverage uh, on his way down. Um, so it wasn't a clean victory, but he still beat uh, beat Tito nonetheless. And, um, you know, we 
obviously we know what happened with Sean's career after that. And, uh, you know, in, in three years time, he'd be the world champion. Um, it was just a, you know, the first step on that, that, uh, long journey for him. Yeah. He didn't predicted that Michaels would be the star of the nineties. I remember him talking about that. And I, yeah. That was a pretty damn good prediction because honestly, Michaels was the star of the nineties, you know, after yeah, when he took that title off, off Brett, he didn't set the company on fire. Obviously that's around the same time the NWO started up. Yeah. He did his best that he could. I think he felt that pressure. And, and I think he even said it was just the wrong time to put the title on, on him when the NWO was so hot. He said, he don't know if anybody would have got over during that. Angle was just so hot at the time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think part of it too is, you know, WCW was pushing those familiar faces as, as far as, you know, at the top of their company. And I think, uh, you know, it's easier for people to buy into someone they know than it is to buy into something new. Yeah. And, you know, Sean, you know, whether we knew him as, as, uh, you know, as a rocker or, or the sexy boy or whatever, I mean, he was still relatively something new. And, um, you know, I think, and even though he put on better matches than, than Hogan and, you know, you know, I'm watching Halloween Havoc 97 right now. And like, it's, it's Hogan and Piper is the main event. Like, oh, I'm like, Lord. I'm like, I can't think of two guys that I'd rather not see in 1997 than those two. Yeah. But, um, you know, nothing, nothing in disrespect to those two as, as people, but, you know, at that point they were, you know, past the prime of their careers. And, um, you know, obviously, you know, Hogan would end up wrestling for another eight years at least, um, you know, not including his TNA time. So, um, but, but still, you know, Sean was, you know, exciting. He was new. He did things that nobody else could do. Um, and I think, I think he adopted that, that flying forearm from Tito. Uh, I think that was Tito's finisher. Yeah. Uh, it was. And then Sean ended up using it uh, thereafter. Uh, as far as like his setup move, um, as you said, this was kind of the genesis. It was very, very recent after his turn on Marty, and um, I think under under other circumstances, if Marty was still in the company, I think this would have been Sean versus Marty. But but obviously, um, you know, he had his issues and he was released. So um, you know, we well, got like Sean. I said, you know, Tito was it was a good was a good first opponent for him. It was yeah. a good a good uh, ma- you know first mania match for michaels as a single star to really yeah really get him over and it got the show off to a hot start absolutely absolutely and then we had uh mean gene interviewed the legion of doom manager paul ellering Mm -hmm. this was actually his debut in the wwf although lod had been in the company already for a couple of years it was just it was nothing special it was just a reintroduction of the team i remember they had a dummy named rocco so after this which was a bad idea (laughs) so less we heard know about that the better but uh yeah, I mean, and then this led into the next match. Uh, this was The Undertaker versus Jake Roberts. Significant here, this was – Jake I was in a really bad time. I remember him talking about this on his DVD around this time. He was leaving the WWF to go to WCW. He had a he had a big deal over there with them, but something happened right before he left the WWF where his booking – his place on the booking committee, everything got, got taken from him. It was Bill Watts. Huh? Bill Watts. Yeah. Yeah. Basically tore up his contract and gave him something even significantly less than what yeah. he was going to be making. So, but this was the Undertaker's second WrestleMania. He was actually a, a face. Um, the match 
wasn't nothing to write home about. Obviously, Taker would have better matches later on in his career. He was still very much in that zombie-like, you knock him down, he slowly gets back up mm-hmm. kind of deal. Um, I thought he did the tombstone. It protected Jake, but I thought it looked a little too – you could definitely tell Taker took the bump on his knees on the floor. Yeah. Jake's head never hit, hit that pad, and you could tell. But, you know, it, it, it got the job done, and, of course, Undertaker would – be 2-0, and and then Jake Roberts would be out of the company for a few years until his return in 96. But uh, what was your thoughts on this? Um, I remember, uh, you know, my dad wasn't the biggest wrestling fan, so uh, but The Undertaker really captured his attention, that that old Western Clint Eastwood style of, uh, you know, that, that type of Undertaker. And, yes. uh, you know, he took two DDTs, which no one had ever got up, got up from before. And then, as you said, that that tombstone on the on the floor that was basically the end of the match, as he rolled him in and pinned him. Uh, obviously, a lot better than the match the following year against Giant Gonzalez. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> ass cracks and and ether combined uh, was not <laughs> was not a good combination. But um, you know, and, and the promo that Jake cut before this match, uh, you could just tell, you know, no matter what. Jake was going through where no matter what, you know, he was inebriated on or, you know, whatever it was, the man could talk like no one else ever in the business. And I mean, he looked like somebody's uncle that, you know, had smoked two packs a day. And I mean, he didn't look like an athlete, but he looked like a guy that could kick your ass. And uh, And it didn't matter what he said. It was the tone that he used. And I think that's something that, that Bray Wyatt adapted later on. I think a lot of wrestlers, when they get into wrestling, two men that they need to listen to their promos to learn how to do a promo is Jake Roberts and Bray Wyatt, because those two, it didn't matter what they said. It was how they said it. Absolutely. I mean, I think, and that's, that's the unfortunate thing about a lot of these big guys, Um, you know, they come in and they scream and they yell and it's like, that doesn't get your point over. (laughs) Nothing gets your, like, that's what I enjoyed about the Wardlow promo last week was, you know, he was very deliberate. It wasn't screaming. It was very, you know, like we talk on this podcast, it's very deliberate. It's very, you know, we're not screaming at one another. We're not getting overly excited. Like, you know, and I think that's, you know, I think that's the the easy, you know, the easy button for, you know, coming in and, and being a wrestler is I'm going to yell everything. And, you know, at some point the crowd tunes that out. And, you know, I think Jake had it right like he just had this very deliberate cadence where he was just you know uh, you know i can't even be as cool as jake can just just trying to say things but but well uh, just at the end of the promo when he when he told uh because you know he had threatened to bring a cobra to the ring and stick it on taker and he's like you know uh he told him that he wouldn't and he just looks straight into the camera and he goes just trust me and it was just like that i mean that's all he needed to say i mean yeah it was just the way he did, I mean, it, it, I think people should go back and look at some of his promos because it was just the, the man just had a way of of encapsulating you into everything that he was saying. Oh yeah, no, and I, and I remember the setup for this match. It was great. Um, you know, Jake and and Taker were friends, and uh, Jake went to hit Miss Elizabeth with a chair um, after a Saturday night's main event, and Taker grabbed the chair from him, and then you know Jake was like, "Whose side are you on?" And he said not yours yeah <laughs> <laughs> and uh I, I just freaking loved it and then they had the you know the uh 
barber or not barber shop the funeral parlor funeral parlor segment where he you know he locked Taker's hand in the casket and then he DDT'd Paul Bear and like it was just it was this great setup it was a it was a fun match and like you said it was a quick squash because Jake was on his way out um, but it but it was still a really well set up match and it was a really entertaining match uh, for for what it was for that for that brief amount of time. Yeah, absolutely. And then we get on to one of the top two matches of the night uh, would be the Intercontinental title match between uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was the coming in as the defending champion, the only championship he ever held mm-hmm. in, in the company. He had won the title at the Royal Rumble a couple months back, and he was putting it on the line against Bret Hart, who had actually lost it. So this was kind of uh, Bret Hart's rematch. Um, they were they were friends. But they went into this match. They they had a nice little exchange, you know, b- before just to kind of show how Brett was calm and cool, and Roddy Piper was trying to mess with him, and mm-hmm. and was like, uh, uh, you know, they each threw up fists at each other. It's like I could have had you, and Piper's like, I don't think so. He goes, You ain't taking this title. She be mine. So yeah, it was like you know, <laughs> it was just a great setup to it. And I thought the match itself was just a fa- fantastic match. I mean, I think this was one of Roddy Piper's best matches in his career and the only time he ever took a clean pinfall and that's when he took he put Brett over in this match yeah that's that's one thing I was gonna say you know reading Roddy's uh you know autobiography he was talking about that he was very very protective about how he lost a match because he didn't want to lose by pinfall he he wanted to you know have some value and he thought if he lost by pinfall he would lose that value as far as you know going forward and and for him to put over Brett in this situation, and we know Brett would end up being the champion before the year was out. Um, you know, it was it was a great moment, and and like you said, the, the the fans bought into it. The you know, it was Brett. You know, Brett was sick when he defended the title against the Mountie. He lost. Then Roddy won by shocking the Mountie with his with his own cattle prod. Um, you know, and then, you know, they come into this match and it's it's all this, like you said, back and forth. You know, Rowdy is frustrated because he can't beat Brett. He brings the ring bell into the ring. He's going to clock Brett with it. And then he changes his mind because of the fans. And, uh, you know, he goes for the sleeper and then and then Brett reverses it into a pinfall. Uh, just just a great match. It wasn't it wasn't the typical Bret Hart match. I mean, you know, for as much as I love Bret, his matches could be very formulaic. Um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a sharpshooter finish. It was a very creative and different finish. And, you know, they ended up, you know, hugging or not hugging each other, but they ended up celebrating with each other after the match was over. Bret ended up bleeding, I think hard way um, during the match. And it was just, it just added to the drama of it. And, and you know, as a, as a whatever 10 year old kid or nine year old kid, man, this was, this was really the thing that set the hooks as far as me being a wrestling fan, you know, here into my thirties. Right. Um, it's just, you know, that, that story that they told in that match. Yeah. Brett, I mean, he even said in his book that he admitted to doing a blade job, although he told Vince, Oh, he did. It was a legit cut. Okay. And then Vince ended up getting pissed at flair for, bleeding in his match but he didn't yeah. get pissed at brett because he thought with brett it was a legitimate cut he didn't realize he had that just showed the <laughs> genius of brett hart to be able to hide that 
and Flair yeah. wasn't able to hide that as well. I mean, that's no yeah. knock on Flair. Obviously, he's one of the greatest in the game, but yeah, Brett absolutely. just did just did the smaller things right. Yeah. No, and, you know, I I I I thought it was a four star match. I thought it was one of the best matches of that evening. Um, you know, Piper, like you said, he thought about using his heelish ways and using the bell, and he didn't want to, and that, that that's what cost him the match. Yeah, his sportsmanship cost him the match. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I remember I ended up using that same spot in his match against Steve Austin at Survivor Series. Uh, four years later, they did the same thing when Steve Austin had him in the Million Dollar Dream, and Brett reversed it by kicking his foot off the ropes, pinning the same way he did Piper. Yeah. So, but it hadn't been done in a few years, so that's. But but yeah, it was a it was a very good match. Uh, then they another first. Uh, Lex Luger was debuting for the WWE, but at this time he was promoting. I don't know if you remember this or not. I don't know if a lot of people remember this. The World Bodybuilding Federation. Oh, I remember it, unfortunately. <laughs> it was a Vince McMahon <laughs> idea that didn't last long. Um, bad idea, but, you know, Vince was always into the bodybuilding and always into the bigger guys. So bringing yeah. Lex in, he was going to be that that um, face of that, of that division. But it ended up folding, and he ended up becoming a – Regular wrestler called the narcissist, and then later made in the USA Lex. Yeah, I uh, you know I remember I remember the World Bodybuilding Federation. I remember you know Luger coming in, and I remember you know Mac, you know articles in WWF magazine. There was like, don't eat hot dogs, eat vegetables and chicken, and you know it was Lex Luger talking about you know how he got his physique and. And really, in the, at the end of the day, it was just a bunch of roided up guys in costumes. Yeah, uh, in the in the WBF, and it it did not last. It was one of Vince's failures. Um, you know, we could we could do an entire podcast about WBF and XFL, and well, two times now where it's failed, and you know, and, and you know the all the things that Vince has tried to do outside of the world of wrestling, and um, you know, and I, I you know I'm a I'm a big workout guy I, I appreciate things like that but but yeah i'm not gonna buy you know bodybuilding on pay-per-view um no matter how much you know vincent man wants to try to sell it to me right uh, <laughs> you know so uh um, well, then they had the the next match was which was a uh, eight-man tag ray combs of the family feud actually did the introductions for this match why i have no idea i nobody really even knew why he was there or why he was doing the introductions but he basically insulted all the heels it was the Mountie, Repo Man, and Nasty Boys against Sergeant Slaughter, Virgil, Big Boss Man, and Hacksaw Jim Duggan. It was just a basic eight-man match just to get eight people on the show. Special about it. It was actually kind of a kind of a boring match, but yeah, you know, Hacksaw got the crowd going with the USA chant. That's really about all I got to say about it. Yeah, I can't remember a whole lot about it. I know that Barry Darso was, uh, you know, from Doom or uh, demolition i'm sorry demolition was the uh was the repo, repo man yeah. um and you know like you said you know just a lot of these like really colorful characters and like you said well his costume not... had a tire track on the back yeah <laughs> like he got he wasn't a very good repo man he got run over yeah. uh, and then you know as you said virgil is you know it was ted dibiase's manservant until he uh, you know earned his liberation from ted um, you know, just, just a lot of goofy, you know, mid-level face gimmicks versus mid-level heel gimmicks. And, 
as you said, just a just a easy way to get a lot of people on the show. And and I remember the faces won, but that's about all I remember of it. To be honest, well, Sergeant Slaughter, you got to remember he was the WWF champion the year before, defending the title against Hogan. Yeah, and this mania a year later, he's in a just a throwaway eight man tag. So, I mean, it was just credence that you know the the Iraqi storyline was the only thing that got him over. And yeah. once that was over, his push was over. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I think I think they could have done more with Slaughter, but but I think you know that that Iraqi you know turncoat storyline was the was the apex of his career, and there wasn't anything he could do to really match that going forward. No, um, he he came back to being you know the the American, I love America, yeah, guy again, and then it was all kind of just. I mean, he stayed yeah. with the company. You know, he became a commissioner, and he's. Yeah, so he was a loyal WWF guy. Had just he never he never reached that pinnacle like he did it the year before at Mania Seven. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, then we got the what I thought should have been the main event of the show, uh, but you had the World Championship match. I think it was the first time it was going on in the middle of a show where it wasn't the main event. Mm-hmm. But it was a uh, Randy Macho Man Savage going against Ric Flair. Uh, I thought this match was fantastic, Randy to me has always been one of the best sellers in the business. He had, he sold a leg injury throughout this entire match. Not one time did he ever not sell the leg in this match. Even after it was over during the pinfall cuz he didn't go for a savage elbow because he couldn't cuz he was selling the leg. Yeah. He had to find another way to win. I thought it was very creative and it was just you know just how much of a genius Savage was that he was able he was one of the best sellers in in the business which is I, I think is what made him such a good wrestler. Yeah, no, I mean, I've seen these two wrestle a lot of times, especially with, you know, as I said, watching Nitro and all that. But, but yeah, the the fact that these two professionals uh, can put together a storyline like that, and just like with Brett and Roddy, it didn't rely on the, the big spots that we were used to. Um, it was, you know, like you said, it was Flair working that leg the whole time. And, and even in, you know, Savage's celebration, you know, he was leaning on the ropes and holding his leg up. Um, to sell that injury even further after the match was over, uh, just just a great move. And, and like in in Savage was was known as this very particular, very um, very detail oriented person, and you could see it in this match. You could see the way that he laid this out and had this this idea for how this match was going to go. And then obviously with Flair having his mindset you know, as far as, you know, his contribution to it as well. Um, Just, just a great back and forth uh, savage one with a small package uh, where Flair, when Flair tried to go for the figure four, uh, one of the most memorable finishes I've seen in my whole life. Like I remember it without even watching it. Um, And uh, it it was just a really great match. And like you said, it, it definitely should have finished the show, but, I think they thought it was Hogan's swan song because of the steroid trial. And, um, you know, that unfortunately Macho and Flair, you know, the, the what should have been the rightful main event was pushed to the middle of the show. Well, I thought Heenan's commentating was excellent in this match. You know, he, he had made no bones about it. He was he was on Flair's side. He, had, he brought Flair into the company. That was the storyline mm-hmm. that he was behind Flair. And during this match, I mean, his commentating was just – I mean, you could tell the emotion in his voice. He's like, come on, Flair, come on, you know, and then he yeah. was so pissed off when Flair got pinned and, and the way that he got pinned because Savage used trucks. I mean, he yeah. needed to win, you know, which the referee didn't didn't see. And then the post-match celebration when 
Flair kissed Elizabeth and Savage went after him. And yeah, I mean, the, the drama surrounding this match was just as good as the match itself. I mean, they just did a they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Kurt Henning was uh, was Flair's quote unquote manager. Um, you know, he was suffering from a back injury at this time. Didn't know if he'd ever come back, uh, you know, so he got to be involved in it as well. Uh, just like you said, just just a great match with great stakes and and obviously like a great as we talked about a great story that was told in that match. Uh, to me, the the match kind of broke down into three acts: uh, Flair dominating early, mm-hmm. Savage brutally assaulting him, leading to the blood, and then finally the conclusion when Elizabeth made her way to ringside. So the way they the way they just set this match up and executed it and executed it perfectly the way that they did, man. I, I mean, these were two guys in the prime of their careers, I believe. I, th- I think they were both yeah. in their prime at this time, and you just couldn't you couldn't ask for a better world championship match. I mean, yeah, I understand why it didn't close the show, but right. honestly, after this, if you didn't watch any more of this show, then this would have been the best WrestleMania of all time. Yeah, unfortunately, no. we had more to go after this. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, we did. And, and like you said, I mean, just amazing professionals. And, 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 and it was just... Like every match to this point was actually entertaining. It wasn't, it wasn't cut by, you know, cut by numbers. You know, I come in, I do this and back and forth and I hit my finisher. Like they were all interesting stories that were told in the ring. And and like you said, um, you know, unfortunately that didn't continue through the rest of the night. Um, but, but, but definitely, you know, up to this point in the card, it was one of the best shows we, you know, that I had seen, you know, as far as watching WrestleMania from the beginning. Yeah. I was a huge savage mark when he came back, man. I was yeah. so happy when he won the title. I'm like, of course that didn't last. They, they continue on into the summer, but I yeah. just remember the pro the post-show promos were, were fantastic, man. Flair and perfect were showing anger like they should. Heenan came back and he was, he was angry about it. Uh, Macho. Yeah celebrating with elizabeth it was just you know it, it was the part of the show that kind of went into intermission back in those times we had intermission i believe there's a 15 intermission after this so they yeah they did several promos about it but uh yeah. the next match you had was tatanka versus rick martell uh tatanka had just come into the company he was undefeated uh this was kind of in the twilight of rick martell's career pretty basic basic by numbers kind of like in the first match uh the older veteran put on put up uh put over the newer guy. Tatanka ended up winning this match. I don't remember much about it except for it being short. I think the crowd really didn't much care because we were just coming off of the high that was the previous match. Yeah. I, I, uh, excuse me. I was a, I, I was honestly like, this is going to sound funny. I was a Tatanka mark, man. I thought that was just such a cool gimmick. Like, he's oh, just I was a, too. I mean, I, yeah. I'll admit, yeah, it was, I, I yeah. was, yeah, and then I mean they ended up turning him heel, and the, you know he ended up losing his winning streak. And um, I think he could have been something really special if they would have had a more consistent push for him. But you know, obviously things got in the way, and then he's had he's made a few comebacks. And um, obviously, like you said, this time you know they were getting him over, and and this was pre Goldberg. This was you know an undefeated streak like we hadn't seen before. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it was, like you said, Rick Martell is a, is a consummate professional and this was towards the end of his career. I remember at the time he was using a very like cartoonish, like perfume sprayer as, as a heel arrogance. tactic to get wins. Yeah, it was called uh, arrogance. Arrogance. Yeah. And, man, and... man in a can is what he called it. <laughs> <laughs> 
but but uh you know fortunately for Tatanka he figured out his way around that and uh, ended up you know taking home the victory in this match. Yeah, I feel bad for him going on right after that classic we just got because I, I yeah. think like you said I, you know like I said people were still coming down off of what happened before and I don't think they were really much into the match. I mean honestly if they yeah. put the next match on I think that would have made the Tonka Mar- Tatanka Martel match better because the next match was the World Tag Team Championship with Money Incorporated. Ted DiBiase and Armin R. Scheister against the Natural Disasters, Earthquake and Typhoon, almost a thousand pounds of, I don't want to say muscle, but a lot of fat. (laughs) There was a lot of weight there. Yeah, Yeah. a lot of weight there. And this match just did not live up to the hype at all. I mean, the Natural Disasters, just to me, they weren't a face team. They They should have stayed as a heel, and they weren't. And, you know, Jimmy Hart turned his back on them, so they went against Money Incorporated for the tag titles. They won, but it was by a countout. Yeah. So, DiBiase and Scheister got to keep the titles, but other than that, it was... The crowd really didn't care. The finish sucked. Probably worst worst yeah. match of the night, I would say, up to this point. No, and, and honestly, that was the thing that... Um, that we would see from Money, Inc. for, like, over the next year. Uh, I remember they beat excuse me, Beefcake and Hogan the following year by disqualification. Yeah. Like, it, that's all it was. Is You know, they would have these marquee matchups and that would that would end in dis, disqualification. And like you said, it's kind of an F you to the audience. Sorry about my alarm here. Oh, um, but, but it was kind of an F you to the audience. And like you said, I mean, you know, I want to call them tugboat. Um, but, you know, <laughs> Uh, earthquake and typhoon you know like you said they were not they were not a face team uh you know they were monster heels uh, you know going back to when earthquake you know squashed hulk hogan or you know smashed jake's snake or you know all those things uh you know there wasn't really much redemption there um you know and then obviously i don't think they lasted much longer in the company to be quite honest with you now fred Uh, ottman who was tugboat typhoon would go on to have to do the infamous shocker incident in WCW. Yes, that was oh, him God. under that glittered Stormtrooper helmet. <laughs> yes, and John Tenta slash Earthquake slash Avalanche slash The Shark slash, you know, every other Golga. gimmick. He was Golga huh? from the oddities. Yeah, he was Golga too. He always every... carried around the Cartman doll. Yeah, so every other shitty gimmick <laughs> they could give him, you know. Um, you know, those two, I think they're both passed away at this point. Um, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, they were, <laughs> they were talented. They were fun to watch as far as just being, you know, massively huge. But, but yeah, like you said, this, you know, this money ink run, I, I remember just loathing it just because that was literally all they did was just win by, by disqualification. Yeah. This DBLC didn't let, I mean, I think he had one more WrestleMania. And then after this, he pretty much just became a manager. He had the million million dollar corporation. He was he brought Steve Austin into the company as the ringmaster. Uh, so, DiBiase done some significant things, but this wasn't one of the the highlights of his career for sure. Uh, the next match we would have it's actually a match that went shorter than what I thought. It was Skinner against Owen Hart. This was actually Owen's second WrestleMania. But his first one as himself. At WrestleMania five, he was the Blue Blazer. And then this would also be the gimmick that would end up shortening his life. Yeah. But Skinner was um, 
Steve Karen, who's a head trainer, or he was at WWE's developmental company, uh, FCW. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember as soon as Owen jumped off the ropes, he spit tobacco juice right in his face. Yeah, I remember that. It was about it, was, it only lasted about a minute. Um, Owen Hart basically skinned the cat back in after a whip and rolled him up, and that was pretty much it. I mean, they yeah they rushed. The, I think they just rushed the match. I would like to have seen more of what Owen could do. Of course, thankfully, we would get to see more of his his great career with the great rivalry he had with his brother Bret Hart. Yeah, I was going to say he was about two years away from really his big. The, the probably the biggest time in his career as far as like you said you know you know wrestling his brother and uh, I just totally my voice just cracked like I'm going through puberty um <laughs> but but yeah like you said, I think this was Owen this was new foundation Owen where he was teaming with Coco Beware yeah. uh, uh, prior to uh when he well, that was high energy new yeah, yeah that was, was high energy yeah and then with Nightheart they were the new foundation um later on and then obviously he just became owen hart you know the black heart the king of hearts all those great great um runs that he had like you said and not not really a memorable match other than i remember you know i had the wwf magazine that was the review of wrestlemania that had the picture of owen with the chaw over his face um you know and uh but other than that i I remember, like, this was a throwaway match. I remember another one that I was looking forward to was Bulldog and Berserker, and we ended up not getting it because it got cut for time. Yeah. Uh, but I remember <laughs> they it. They promoted the... it. It was in the magazine that they promoted. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It was in the program. And, like, I was like, where went – I was like, did we miss this? Like, where <laughs> where was Berserker? And, like, I'm sure I'm the only person in the world that gave a shit about Berserker and the bull- Bulldog, but – I really wanted to see it. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was it was one of the yeah, it was one of those. I remember it was in the program, and I thought there was a match missing. I'm like, man, I feel like there's a match missing. And then that was the one. It was uh, Berserker and Bulldog, which yeah. I'm surprised they didn't just do it like a like a pre Mania show match, like the kickoff matches they do now. I'm surprised yeah. they didn't do that, but they didn't. Yeah, I would have thought they would have done that to warm up the crowd, but yeah, as you said, nope, no dice. <laughs> Uh, then we get to the well, the main event. Um, <laughs> so Sid Justice, he had came in as a face. Mm-hmm. He turned he turned to heel after finding out that Hulk Hogan would get the title shot at Mania, even though he eliminated him at the Rumble. Um, he he then turned he did a full heel heel turn on a Saturday night's main event leading up to this, which led up to this match. Sid was not the greatest at promos. I remember watching his promo for this. I'm thinking, what the hell is this guy saying? He wasn't one of those where it doesn't matter what he says because you're just encapsulated because he was all about yelling. And yeah. He would yell just dumb stuff, man. It was like, I just, <laughs> but you know, Sid, he promised he would make sure it was Hogan's last match. I remember they did an interview with Hogan. Vince did about, you know, him thanking him for his contributions to the company. And if this was his last match, then so be it. Now, in all fairness, it was Hogan's last match as a main eventer at WrestleMania. Because I don't think he ever main evented another, another mania after this. I, the year he went on with The Rock, they probably should have main evented that one. But yeah, I think uh, I, I agree with that. But but as a full blown like main eventer, I think this was his. Yeah, he was on his way out of the company. You could tell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think this was '92. Uh, you know, in two more years, he'd be the the headliner in WCW. Um, and and really, you know, I think you know, go back going back to Macho like. You know, and that following year, they thought that Macho was too old to be a wrestler. 
and uh, you know they tried to make him a commentator and then he ended up you know bolting to WCW and having a few more great years himself um, yeah so it, it was just it was it, this was like right around that transition this was you know as the new generation was starting to get their you know their traction but uh, you know like you said Scott Hall would debut as Razor Ramon shortly after uh, Diesel would come in you know that following year yeah, so this was this was a significant. I'm not mean to cut you off, but well, you're okay. this was a significant mania for the fact that it really did kind of be the swan song of the older generation because you started to yeah. see at Mania Nine, you had newer guys that were in. You had the Steiner brothers that came in. You had yeah. Shawn Michaels in his second year starting to find his stride. Bret Hart main evented that WrestleMania, so I think this was really the the turning point in in WWF for hey the 80s are over. Yeah. We're going in into the nineties. I mean, I, I, yeah. I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but no, I think I think honestly, you know, at some point you have to close the book. I think you know if you look at like WrestleMania nineteen, that closed the book on the Attitude Era. Yeah, um, you know, you look at WrestleMania eight, that probably closed the book on the Rock and Wrestling slash Hogan era, or the Hulkamania era, because you know, as you said, you know, you're they're now they're looking for that next big star, and um, you know, in this main event. Obviously, you know, they kind of went back to the well, um, but but as your but to your point, yeah, I mean, I think this was kind of, you know, this was the swan song of, you know, this is the last time Hulk Hogan is in the main event. And, you know, I, like we said, arguably WrestleMania 18, uh, that would have been the greatest main event, you know, probably in the history of WrestleMania. Um, they chose not to go that way. And, and, you know, I understand the reasoning behind it, the business decisions behind it, but um but yeah, I think, I think, like you said, this is the this is the end of the Hulkamania era, you know, as far as in WWF, uh, you know, as we said, you know, he would jump to WCW in two years time, and you know, have some success there before he reinvented himself as Hollywood Hulk Hogan. Um, but but yeah, I, I I I'm rambling now at this point. But yeah, we'll, no, but we'll Sid, talk about Sid in his promo, I remember he was talking about one of the things he said was he was the ruler of the world, and it's like. Well, he's certainly not the ruler of promos. No, yeah. But he came out, I mean, with Harvey Butelman was his manager. He got decent heat, but it wasn't overwhelming. Uh, Gorilla, I think, even called him Psycho Sid, which would end up being his name And a couple of years later when he came back to the company because I know he left and yeah. then came back as Psycho Sid. Of course, Hulk Hogan got the big pop. The match was nothing to write home about. I thought it was terrible. Yeah. I mean, back then I was kind of a Hogan fan. As a kid, you don't really see it, but when you see it now, you're thinking, "Man, this this match is it, it, just terrible." I mean, yeah, it was the same paint by numbers Hogan match that you usually get. But even but when he hit the leg drop, I don't know if you see Sid Justice kicked out of it. Yeah, I, because and from what I understand, the reports were is that Papa Shango, who was played by uh, Charles Wright who would later be the godfather, was yep. late getting to the ring. So that kickout wasn't supposed to happen. Yep, he missed this cue. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, and, and, and to go to, to the 92 Rumble, probably one of the best pay-per-views, like overall pay-per-views of all time, um, especially with that Rumble, Rumble main event. But as you said, Justice, you know, they're, they're portraying him as the villain here, but really it was Hulk that got him eliminated. Yeah. Uh, so he was rightfully pissed, first of all. So it wasn't a great setup to the match to begin with. Because he eliminated Hogan, and then Hogan was like yeah. selfish. 
yeah. hand and helped Flair eliminate him. So, yeah, he yeah. had a legitimate right to be angry. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And, I mean, in that time, it's not one of those, you know, I can see where the bad guy's coming from and they think they're the hero of their own story. No, Sid was just right. Like, yeah. <laughs> Hogan was a dick. But yeah. but either way, like you said, you know, it was it was that formulaic, you know, uh, Hogan gets beat down for the first, you know, five or six minutes of the match. He makes this, you know, Superman comeback. He hulks up, all of that great stuff, hits the leg drop. And then, like you said, Sid has to kick out because Charles Wright misses his cue. Um, so Harvey Whippleman and gets involved. They end up calling a disqualification, which for reasons that I'm not entirely positive about. I think it was just because of Whippleman's inter- interference. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then Charles Wright runs out to attack uh, Hogan as, as the, um, as Papa Shango. And then obviously I'll let you talk about our, uh, our final entrance for the evening. Yeah. So, so basically, I mean, Sid's offense in this match, I don't know if you noticed was awful. I mean, he kept on a nerve hold. It felt like five minutes of the match was him. Yeah. Pressing down on Hulk Hogan's trapezius muscle. It's like, man, you talk about slowing a match down, but yeah. So Papa Shango and, and Sid Justice tied Hogan up in the ropes were beating him down. And then you heard the familiar music of the ultimate warrior. Down the, I remember I was so excited as a kid when I heard that, man, I'm jumping up and down. I'm cheering. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, warrior was one of my favorites. Yeah. So just because of the energy, man, that that guy, that that guy professed and, uh, he was wearing a singlet. He was noticeably smaller. He had had a haircut. So this is around the time the rumors are going around that the real warrior had died. And yeah. This is like his twin brother or somebody that they thought looked like him and, and said, well, this is the yeah. ultimate warrior. No, it's always been Jim Helbig. It's always yeah. been the same guy. And I think we talked about that in our warrior retrospective. But yeah, it was just because of the steroid trials and everything, I think he had stopped taking them. Yeah. So he had been significantly cool. smaller. And this was supposed to be the hero returning to, he was supposed to be the one to replace Hulk Hogan, which didn't end up happening. But at this, at this time, I think that's where their thought process was. Yeah. I think, I think, like you said, he had the, the, the shorter haircut, he had the smaller frame. And I, I believe much like our current Roman Reigns, he had his teeth capped as well. Um, so he just looked like a different person and, yeah. you know, it really lended to, Oh, Jake snake accidentally killed the real warrior. Uh, which was the rumor, you know, at the time when we were kids. And, um, but, but like you said, uh, you know, he came back. I remember, you know, Warrior being, you know, a, a central part of the original version of Raw. But, but like you said, it never really uh, captured that, that imagination or that, that uh, movement or I guess the, the movement or the, uh, you know, the crowd enthusiasm that the original Warrior run did. Um, and you know, well, he, he was supposed to be at Survivor Series. I mean, they had promoted him and Macho Man against uh Rick and, and and Razor Ramon, and they had to change course because yeah, you know, Warrior got fired right before the event. I think it was due to he tested positive for steroid use, yeah, so they had to get rid of him. And then all of a sudden, perfect turns out of the blue, he's all of a sudden he's a good guy and he's teaming with Macho Man against Ramon and Perfect. That's, Survivor Series. I'm watching Survivor Series thinking, what the hell? Yeah. Perfect just become a good guy all of a sudden. It just was totally <laughs> out of left field. It really was. No, yeah. Absolutely. And uh, that's another one. Um, uh, this is off topic, but that's another one I want to do one day. I mean, Kurt Hennig, or Hennig was 
I mean, my God, the guy was not as celebrated as some of these, you know, top tier wrestlers that we talk about. But my God, was the man talented um, as far as promos and in-ring work. Uh, absolutely somebody we need to talk about one day. Um, I, I apologize for taking no. over the show to talk about that. But I'm, I've been watching him, you know, as far as in, in 97 when, you know, past the time when they thought his career was over. And the guy can still go. And it's just, uh, it's just amazing. So, oh yeah, we'll definitely do a retrospective on him. But yeah, it was, like I said, that the, the Sid jump kicking out of the leg drop was unplanned. Obviously, they didn't talk about it, but you could, you could clearly see it even on the network. They didn't edit it. Yeah, and we thought this was going to be a great return for the Warrior, but it just didn't. No, didn't turn out that way. Um, I think the event as a whole was, was pretty. Like I said, the first half was definitely far more superior than the second half of the show. Oh yeah, but it's one I'll always remember. I mean, it's you know it's the only mania I've ever been to, and it's one that's that's near and dear to my heart. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a lot of a lot of good memories there in the Hoosier Dome that no longer exists. And um, you know, as as I talked about, you know, it's my first my first uh, experience with wrestling as far as in person. And um, you know, I'm I'm hoping. I know there's been bids and there's been you know. Uh, attempts as far as trying to get mania back here and and i really hope that it happens just for the fact that you know the the completeness of you know being able to take my son one day yeah um, and, and i think you know i think that's a you know a whole a whole circle as far as you know filling that out and i would love to be able to do that uh i know like i said i know there's been bids but it hasn't happened yet but i, I think eventually it will and um you know Obviously, right now they're they're sticking to the gigantic stadiums, which Lucas Oil is big, but um, it's not the Dallas Stadium. So, well, another thing, I mean, this was pre-internet, so a lot of these surprises yeah. they were able to actually do as surprises with the Warrior return and all yeah. that. I don't know if they'd have been able to keep that under wraps if we'd had internet around then. Oh no, no, no way. <laughs> I mean, and that's that's something we'll talk about with uh, with Scott Hall is you know a lot of that you know that that was what fed into the excitement and the the mystique of the nwo um and and the outsiders was uh, people legitimately thought they were going to take over they were wwe people taking over wcw that's what made it exciting that's what made people tune in because you didn't know (laughs) Yeah. yeah i mean literally he didn't say his name he didn't say you know anything other than you know who i am but you don't know why i'm here and like that was, you know, a, a thousand watt, you know, advertisement for for watching Nitro to see what would happen next. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk about it. And, and you know, it's it's definitely a different time in wrestling. But uh, but I think you know, I think as far as Mania Eight will goes, I think it will always hold a special place in our hearts. And um, you know, probably one of my favorites just because I was there. Um, but uh, did you have any other parting thoughts, Jesse? We got about three minutes left here. No, I mean, like I said, I I just thought I I thought it was a good show. The first half better than the second. Yeah. A lot a lot of firsts. You could definitely tell there was a, a shifting point happening within within the company, getting away from the big, bulky wrestlers going towards the more athletic style because yeah. of the steroid trials that were going on around that time. So, uh, but you know, it, it was a. Uh, I think it's a significant show and something that that should be looked at as as the first turning point of the company since the first WrestleMania. 
Yep. No, I agree 100%. Uh, well, everybody, uh, I want you to be safe, be smart, make good decisions. Uh, that's good for you. And uh, join us next week as we will talk about the uh, life and career of uh, one of the guys that just made wrestling cool. Uh, right, you know, Scott Hall, aka Razor Ramon. All right, Jesse, that's another one for the good guys. <laughs> yes, we will, is. we will see you guys next week, and um, everybody be safe. All right, good night, everybody.